Hey guys, I'm Sid Patel, CEO of Beverage Trade Network. I'm here with Scott from IRI. Their headquarters is in Chicago. And Scott, thanks for having me here. Thank you for coming. Super. We're going to discuss you know, the business of data and how uh, entrepreneurs, winemakers, you know, CEOs, distillers can use data in driving their day-to-day -day business decisions. So Scott, why don't you give us a little uh, bit of introduction about uh, what you do, your role, and uh, a bit of IRI background as well. Well, I'd like to say that we're here to provide solutions to questions or problems. On a day-to-day -day basis, we work with clients to determine what are their needs, either data, analytics, insights, and how can we satisfy those needs. We're the largest repository of purchase, media, causal, social, loyalty data for CPG, branching across CPG, beverage, alcohol, mm -hmm. obviously included in that. You've been uh, working with IRI, you said almost 28 years? Been with IRI for a long time. What, so what's been right. the journey? How have you started and you know, how did you like progress in this role? I've been many functions of IRI, different departments, different divisions, from our operations to our product management to our new business acquisition and now in commercial organization. So was this your first job? It was uh, my first job. I had internships out of college wow. and then uh, started with IRI. Yeah. Uh, ha is anyone working more than 28 years currently right now? Oh yeah, we have quite a few that, um, that leapfrog me in that area. Great. Let's go on, you know, uh, when a winery or a brewery or a distillery, especially I'm talking about the context of our audience, which is a small to medium size, mm -hmm. not the Gallows and the Budweiser's of the world, sure. you know, uh, who maybe cannot afford uh, to buy data and research uh, from companies like Nielsen, IRI. You know, where can they uh, start even applying data in their business decisions? Because a lot of entrepreneurship is more on gut. Sure. And then they realize that they're fighting against the market. Yeah, I think for the small and medium size, the ones that are starting out with data needs, we're often getting this question as clients then start to say, hey, we're, n we're not at that scale size to afford such a large scale solution. You first have to have that commitment from management on data. Okay. And then I think that you need to single out and define uh, dedicated people that are going to be working with that data. And ultimately, what are you going to use that data for? Mm -hmm. What is it going to drive? Is it going to drive your go-to-market strategy? Are you going to use it as a scorecard to see how effectively you've done it? Got or it. are you going to use it to potentially launch new products? And we have packages that start uh, very small. It's in a separate program, very syndicated nature that we basically say, okay, a group of clients that wouldn't necessarily be able to afford a singular large-scale custom solution could afford one that's on a syndicated scale. When it comes to launching a new product, you know, uh, what are the three or four questions uh, that you think a brand owner should really ask? And then what are the data sets uh, you think they should collect? Yeah, I think the first thing to do is to see if that product is within trend. Okay. Is it something that people today enjoy? Is it something that you're mm -hmm. going to have consumers buy? Um, or maybe it's something that you're predicting people are going to move to. But you don't want to have a product, obviously, that's, that's coming out of favor. And I think that, you know, start with the basics. Look the, at some of the, the movement data. The predicting thing is a tough mm -hmm. shot, right? Like, in a way, it's just to, like, uh, let's say, give me an example of uh, what you think is going to be hot in 2023. But let's say if it doesn't work out, it's a big loss. Yeah, the prediction is really tough. I think that we saw that with the launch of seltzers. Yeah. There are many people saying this was going to be a passing fad. It was maybe going to last True. a year, and that's it. Yeah. Um, 
I don't think that there are many outside of perhaps a few companies that invested in it early thought that it was going to have the staying power and the growth that we have seen. Mm. So many of the slides that we put together will show why are we always talking about seltzer? It's because the growth that mm. that has brought in. Yes, it's leveled off now, but you're talking, we're six years into this. This is no longer at the beginning of the infancy of seltzers. You know, if I recollect, it's where the growth is. For example, mm -hmm. it's where the current trend is. Uh, then what about uh, risk, right? Like, are there any uh, things that you advise uh, companies which can eliminate a little bit of risk factor? Uh, maybe it's pricing or the packaging or any other research which can help them reduce their risk levels? We have many pieces of data that will show where consumers are interested in. To your point, maybe that it's that right packaging, that right size, maybe it's that caloric level that people are looking for. Going back to Seltzer's, for example, many people looked at that and said, well, that's 100 calories or less product. Yeah. With the new trend in the health and wellness, that's something that people are attracted to. They like that smaller, sleeker packaging as well. So is that taking out some of that risk? I think there's always a risk when you're launching new products, yeah. right? So be it a, a small startup, medium-sized company to the largest, we see that not all new products succeed, unfortunately. I think uh, consumer data and you know, seeing whether there is a product market fit is a natural sort of question that comes to mind. But mm -hmm. you touched on a couple of other things that brought my attention which is you know the distribution and market penetration strategy yeah. that is something which is interesting as well on what kind of data you know people are collecting especially i think big companies would be doing that but small companies have no idea about the distribution and penetration and retail you know uh, what what can be those data points i think the retail shelving is an important point that you bring up because there's only so much room mm -hmm. at that shelf true and it's continually being squeezed, right? So we're seeing the advent of new product launches, time and time again, and the flavors, the varieties. Again, only so room, much room on that shelf. So the traditional beer, wine, and spirits has mm -hmm. now increased into, with the advent of seltzers, RTDs. There's just more and more products that one is fighting for that shelf space. So I think when you're looking at it, you have to look at those attributes that consumers are drawn attention to so that those retailers find those products as, uh, attractive to have on the shelf for their consumers. One of the things that come to my mind if I was a supplier is you know, how I can use uh, clients data. Let's say if I was pitching, I got that final meeting with Kroger's, I was lucky now, I'm, I have that home run shot, right? Yeah. So I would really uh, use alcohol theft data in my presentation that okay they started the categories and this is why where my brand fits absolutely uh, can you walk us through some case studies and examples of how brands have done this kind of thing for the chains well i don't give any client sure. examples obviously but um i think that that's an excellent point so the retailers have our data as well mm. so and the one thing that's interesting with them beverage alcohol iri has created a syndicated nature for beverage alcohol so regardless of whether you're the largest winery or spirit manufacturer to the smallest one we're all in that same data source. True. So there was always confusion in the marketplace with some clients that would have custom deliverables and mm -hmm. what that would create. So for IRI, we're saying that if you have this data, you are in sync with the retailer and all of the other manufacturers that are accessing this data source. Mm. So everyone's speaking the same language. Mm. It helps to minimize some of those gaps. What, what tips do you have on how companies can use that actually uh, in their presentations? Like what? If I was in a meeting with Kroger, mm -hmm. 
and you were my friend, and I would ask you that tell me three things that would lit up Kroger. Yeah, I think that what you'd say is look at the attributes that consumers are looking for today. Okay. okay? This is what my product or your product that you're developing has. It fits all these characteristics. So we've seen a lot of rise in products recently, some new product launches. What are those attributes that we need to say that look what our product has that these others did? So we saw the growth curve on some of those new launches. Ours, we feel, is going to mirror that. What's your take on uh, trends, uh, especially in 2023? Uh, where do you think the U.S. consumer is going? Uh, I think that we've seen from a lot of the earnings reports that Mexican beer is still very hot. I think that premiumization, premium tequila, for example, is a trend that is here to stay. Mm -hmm. um, RTDs, it was spoke about quite a bit. I think that um, we're still seeing growth in that area as well. So a lot of the consistent trends are continuing on. Um, spirits remains very hot. Mm, so spirits has pulled some of the sales from wine. We've seen that a little yep. bit from beer as well. And uh, everyone has become at-home mixologists. Mm. So one of the things that COVID introduced was, okay, not as many people were going to the bars, to the on-premise restaurants, so they learned how to make those drinks at home. They learned that they liked it. And in many cases, they could afford a higher quality product if it was made at home. And we're seeing those trends continue on. Premiumization for sure, uh, but with the balancing of you know, this interest rates and inflation, mm -hmm. do you think that that will go back to the value uh, products? You know, that's what everyone is watching. And I keep saying it's a little bit too early to tell. I think that the big thing to keep an eye on is the jobs data. So we just saw, timing is perfect for you to ask that question, we just saw jobs data released today, and it was higher than people were expecting. So mm -hmm. despite the interest rate cuts, we're not seeing a pullback in that unemployment. So what that is bringing on is that people still have jobs, people still have disposable income to buy those premium products. So I think if we see the jobs data shift, then you're going to have a situation more like a 2000 or an 07, 08, where we did see a little bit of that shift to value-oriented from premium. Right. what drives trends? You know, uh, I personally believe that U.S. is still so much of a retail-driven market where, you know, uh, the, the owner, the retailer will yeah. say, try this, not this, right? It's more of that still. What do you think drives these trends? Well, one of the things, um, not the sole reason, but interesting enough, uh, we, we create a few slides that show celebrity-endorsed products. Yeah. So celebrity-endorsed, not so much in the beer space where you don't see that I think that spirits ownership. is where it got traction. Spirits is, is really high in this area. That's a good right? example. I think that, that's why... It, that's one of the contribution as well, I guess. Spirits and then obviously uh, some of the celebrity endorsed wine too of recency yep. that has noted, but um, spirits is really where that trend started. And um, I think that you're seeing those continue on. There's more and more products that but are taking what's hold. What's your take on uh, uh, today Total Wine decides that let me make uh, like how Yellowtail started, right? Like let me yeah. let me make uh, whatever Argentinian Malbec back hot again. They have that power. It can be this retail U.S. retail can make a grape or a country popular again when there is a glut. Retail has a lot of power. 
um, over consumers, but I think that some of that has been mitigated with the advent of e-commerce. People can go direct. It's yes, it's very small in beverage alcohol. But do you still. think that they can still create the next trend? Um, I, I think that they have the power to do so. I'm not seeing the retailers create the trend in okay. beverage alcohol as much Got as it. other factors, quite honestly. Not if there was a little hack or some actual insight you can give yeah. me. I'm trying my marketing on Instagram. I'm a gin brand and I'm trying marketing on Instagram versus YouTube or, you know, any tips on how people can just purely use Google to search the right mm -hmm. questions or to figure out what consumers are actually clicking on or observing or consuming? Yeah, I guess this will be my sales pitch, pitching out some of our products. We have a Lyft product. Okay. We have a mixed product, so our media tracking looks at those and says, how effective was your advertising? Okay. So when you take that to launch, think about, okay, looking at that, not waiting for the whole campaign to finish. We can actually assess that during it, provide an opportunity to have some shifts. Don't want to take away from that product anything, but what are these two or three things, uh, you know, that you would advise people to do to make it work? I think going back to, you have to look to see what's in trend. Got it. You have to, you know, you, it's harder to create a new one than it is to keep on one that's already been formed. And I think we have seen that in some of the branching out of, like I said, the RTDs going back to that. I think that you're seeing a lot of commingling now of products. Collabs, you mean? No, I, it's products that weren't in the beverage and alcohol space oh, okay. previously. So you think about some of the collaborative partnerships we're seeing. Some of the CSDs are collaborating with alcohol companies. Some of the juice companies are collaborating with beverage alcohol companies creating a new product trend that consumers are really gravitating toward. What does your day look like, Scott? Like, who do you report to? What's your team dynamics? And, you know, what are your KPIs uh, for your particular role? My day is uh, continually working with clients. So um, now the day is, as you're seeing from our office, it is virtual. Mm. So um, I used to be on the road quite a bit and um, not as much anymore because quite honestly, the clients aren't fully back in the office five days a week. So I try to meet clients at various functions, either trade shows, conferences, um, some that live in the area will meet at a local Starbucks, but um, it is really answering client questions. So you, uh, your main role goes in uh, client services and relationships? Correct. What about getting new clients? Do, are you involved in that? business as well? Yeah, so my role is in the commercial organization to work with our existing client portfolio, okay. but part of that is also to bring in new clients, okay. right? So um, we have, we're advantaged to say that we have um, a large share of the marketplace, but we're always wanting to attract and bring in new clients. And then I work with our solutions teams okay. that are experts in analytics, consumer data, media data, and bring them in to partner with to help answer some And who goals. do you uh, have to report to, you know, and what are those things, like what are your KPIs? Yeah, our, our KPIs are client satisfaction, Got it. the revenue base, as I'm sure everyone is, yeah. and to really adhere to budget. So and client just like satisfaction is measured by what, repeat business? Yeah, so we measure client satisfaction with a survey with our clients that okay. we send out on an annual basis and they evaluate us. How are we performing to them? Are we delivering to them value insights? Are they basically getting value for mm -hmm. that contract with IRI? <laughs>